This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Good morning, Christopher Robin. Oh, good morning, Winnie the Pooh. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this calendar Joe's mom got me for my birthday says it's National Scotch Day, which I could have figured out when OG... Oh, man, that is a big pour, dude. And because he's drinking the special stuff today, we bring you a special episode of the show starring you. Stories from stackers who are doing incredible things. No headlines, no guest stars, just you and... Oh, geez. Seriously, man. Are you going to drink that all by yourself? Don't worry, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline later, assuming OG makes it that long, and then I'll serve up a slice of my Benjamin stacking trivia. And now, two guys who, well, one guy's at his microphone and the other one who looks like he's expecting a really tough Wednesday, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G! Hey there, stackers. Welcome to OG's favorite holiday, National Scotch Day. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table, ready to phone it in today because we got a special episode that uh, largely you get to sit with your feet up today. It's Mr. OG. How are you, dude? You say I get to have my feet up all day today? Yes. Yeah. All right. Then I'm really great. How are you? (laughs) It is fantastic. I love these episodes where we find out some of the cool things that people in our community are doing. We have three for you on this particular holiday. And uh, let's dive in. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to Uh, My nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington, 
on a submarine, and my nephew Nathan is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. All right, now let's dive in. And a woman I met in Madison, Wisconsin, who has a phenomenal story. I can't wait for everybody to hear. Katie Pruitt's here. Katie, how are you? Good. How are you? Well, I'm great. And I was so inspired when you told me your story in Madison. And I told you even then, I'm like, I would love the next time we have a potpourri episode to have you tell everybody this story. But before we get to the story, I want people to understand really a little bit about Katie. Like, are you a natural saver? Are you somebody that saves 50, 60, 70% of their income before what we're about to talk about? Well, sort of. I am naturally frugal. I had a grandmother, as most people do, um, who lived through the depression. um, And I just picked up on little things she did for saving. So I did. I like to hold on to money, but I wasn't so good at where to put it. So I steer towards saving money, but I never really tracked what I did with it. What were some of those little things that grandma talked about that you really latched onto? Yeah. Well, and it wasn't so much talk about it, just things she did. Oh, so yeah. she was yeah, saving her cool whip containers when she uh, cooked a bunch of food and gave it to the family members, put it in the cool whip containers and she wanted those back. She saved her newspaper wrappers to wrap up uh, meat in the freezer. She grew food in the garden to make the meals for everyone. It was just sort of little things like that. That's... Buying stuff on rebate, having the stores pay her for school supplies. And then we would go shop at grandma's for school supplies. So that's fabulous. That's fantastic. When did you first hear about this? Uh, it was your credit union, right? That they had a competition they were going to be doing. Yeah, a credit union. I first heard about it um, probably for the first time back in 2015 or 2016. It was just an advertisement and it was right before the deadline to apply. So I hopped online and did that real quick, Um, shot off some quick answers to their questions and surprise, surprise, wasn't chosen because it wasn't prepared. Then I put it on the back burner for a couple of years. Um, I applied next in 2018, a little bit more prepared, Uh, wasn't chosen, applied again in 2019 because I then decided to save my paperwork from the first time around refined it. And I was chosen for an interview, but not chosen for the competition that year. And then the next year was my year. Well, I want to dive into this a little bit. So first of all, what is the competition that you're applying for over and over and over that the credit union's having? Yep. So they choose for families, whatever a family looks like for everyone. And you work with a financial coach one-on-one for about eight months. And the goal is to increase your savings and reduce your debt. So whatever that looks like, and then the, the four of you kind of go um, head to head. And then the person with the highest savings rate actually ends up winning a $10,000 prize. 
and the other three win is it, is it 2500 Wow, is it a, is it, it's a $10,000 cash prize? Yeah, obviously you have to pay taxes. Sure. On it, yeah, that's yeah. the bummer, right? Right, but still yeah. 10 grand after, you know, after taxes, it's still more money than you had before. So that's cool. And they're posting updates, I assume, along the 8 months for all of their, you know, fans of the credit union so people can kind of follow along. Yep. Um we do weekly blog posts on their website and they post our numbers but they combine them. So you don't really know who's ahead at any point. So about halfway through, they post the numbers and then they update it through the end. By the way, I love innovative stuff like this and I love credit unions. Um, Of course, we have Navy Federal as a great sponsor of ours, a great partner of ours. But I want to give this credit union a shout out. What's what's the name of your credit union? It's Summit Credit Union. Awesome. Because this is just a great idea. I mean, it, it helps so many people. But so you get an interview. I'm, I'm wondering what type of questions they ask you at an interview for this before they decide whether you're chosen or not. Yeah, they like to get a baseline for what your financial life looks like, like on a weekly basis, just kind of see like, um, what are your struggles with finances and what have you been doing so far? What would you like to gain out of this? And that sort of thing. What did you tell them? What was your baseline? Well, my baseline was a little bit confusing because I I had my first child at 21 um, and then I just kept having them every three years. Um, <laughs> no college education. So just doing jobs. And um, I've got four children ended up at four. That's where I stopped. What you mean the so three year my- <laughs> the three year time came and for whatever reason you stopped the production cycle? Yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so my finances were whatever they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I needed I know I needed to pay my bills and I knew of a few different ways to to do that. Mostly relying on credit. Um, I back in two thousand nine had racked up oh somewhere about like $28,000 in credit card debt, just life circumstances. I needed to pay for things and I, I only had that one way to do it. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I had um, just two children, a boy and a girl, and I knew that we wouldn't be able to have them share bedrooms forever. So I started looking around for apartments that were bigger, that wasn't really possible with my income. So I started... See, I'm not satisfied with no answer. (laughs) Like, oh, that won't work. The end. That's, that's not me. So at that time I went to look for other options and I found Habitat for Humanity and I applied for that. And they told me that my debt to income ratio was too high, which I already knew. So I started looking around for ways to get out of that. I um, called my credit card companies to see if they would do some balance transfers to help me out. And they said, your debt to income ratio was too high. And I said, I know um, lots isn't, of them actually. Isn't that <laughs> yeah. is this crazy, Katie, just to cut you off for a second, because I want to stop this for everybody. It's when you get into real trouble and you actually need help when you're at the point that you really need these companies to help you is when they tell you they can't help you, which is crazy to me because they're like, oh, just consolidate your debt. Things are going to be great. Yeah. Hey, I really need that consolidation loan and that will be phenomenal for my family and I can, will use this to get ahead. No, 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 can't do it. Yeah, I don't think they believed me, but um, I don't blame them because they didn't know me. So then I went to my other credit union that I was using at the time and asked them for just like a personal loan to try to pay off the credit card debt. And surprise, surprise, my debt to income ratio was too high. So they, they, they said no. So then I went to, I think it was called Green Path or something. And they said that my uh, situation was not bad enough. 
So I, that lo- it. <laughs> I love, by the way, Katie, just as an aside, I love Green Path Financial. When I was in Detroit, we would do events there. We would actually bring speakers in and do financial events and a lot of their employees. And I love their mission and they do help people, but th- this is nuts. So you're falling in this no woman zone, right? Yeah. Of, of it doesn't suck bad enough, but it sucks too bad. Yeah. So that's where I was at, but I didn't give up. Uh, Habitat for Humanity accepts applications once every six months where they did at that time. So um, I spent that six months just trying to figure out the best way to pay down my credit card debt. So I relied more on food pantry for our food, giving most of it to my children, and then just kind of learning. I learned some skills on how to use food creatively and cheaply. Um, And I just spent the next six months paying it down as much as I could. And then it was approved for Habitat for Humanity. So I got into that and that helped for quite a while. Wow. Um, So back to now, you're at the point that you're applying with these guys. How much debt do you have at this point? And uh, what does your economic situation look like that they said, yeah, we want you to enter this competition? Well, um, to the summit competition? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had paid down my credit card debt completely back in the Habitat days and then vowed never to pay a cent in interest again. So at the time applying for Summit Project Money, I didn't have any debt outside of my mortgage. And I had changed home, so it was no longer the Habitat mortgage. It was a different one by then. However, I was still using credit cards really creatively and kind of relying them on them a lot. I wasn't planning ahead for any finances. I was just paying bills as they came in. If I didn't have it, I threw it on credit. If the bill was due and I didn't have the money to pay for it, I did get a credit card that would do no fee transfers. So that would buy me another month. But like it seemed normal. So they asked me what kind of financial stressors I had. And I said, I didn't have any. I didn't feel that I did. But looking back, I guess I did because I was constantly trying to figure out how to pay things. And now that I'm out of it, I can honestly say I don't have any financial stress. (laughs) I was going to say, Katie, every single person listening to this is yelling at their device that you had tons of financial stress. But I love love the fact that you've normalized this to the point that for you, it's standard operating procedure so you can get by and see tomorrow. Because the big thing we all need is hope, right? I mean, we all need the hope that tomorrow is going to be better than today. So they approve you. Do you remember where you were when you found out that you were going to be a part of this competition? Well, I was right here in front of my computer because that's how they were were doing it. So they emailed um, you. Well, we did the interview and then they emailed and said, we want to do one more interview. So I said, okay, that's one more interview further than I got last year. Let's do it. But they were actually just playing with me that they just wanted to record my reaction to telling me. (laughs) So it's great. And by the way, that's a nice prelude to something that's really uncomfortable here, which is the next eight months, you know, Aaron Lowry at Broke Millennial put it this way. You got to get naked in front of everybody with your money. Like how uncomfortable was that then for the next eight months to be just brutally honest with the public about where Katie Pruitt's at? Well, it was a little bit strange because it's hard for me to explain things to people. And I didn't know it was a little bit different because it was the it was a challenge. And I felt like everything I was doing would kind of say whether or not I won. So I wanted to be careful about what I said. But yeah, coming from a family that didn't talk about money, it was hard to talk about my money with other people. 
you know, they ask questions and I just say, well, it is, it just is this, <laughs> how is it? Well, it's like, it is, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's hard to explain. Did, did you ever get noticed in public? Not so much that, but my coworkers would tell me that they saw me on TV. We had to do a, a few interviews, which were really, really interesting. They said that they were going to be conversational interviews, but it was more like um, the cameraman is going to read you questions and then you answer them. Oh, man. And then I answered I answered them and then they're like, oh, uh, by the way, we want you to put the question in your answer. I'm like, oh, that's very conversational. I often repeat back a question before I give the answer. It's like, hi, I'm Katie. I walk around the neighborhood talking to myself, right? I yeah, ask, I ask yeah. myself questions and then I answer the question. What things did you do that next eight months with the coach? What were some of the big lessons the coach was able to help you with? The biggest one was the budget. Um, everybody has heard of a budget. Everybody's scared of a budget. I was very confused by budgets in the past. In the past. I heard about the need for a budget, but every time I tried, I gave up. And what I realized is it was kind of like I was trying to make a lasagna and start with the noodles on the bottom. And I was ending up with crusty noodles. <laughs> so I just couldn't wrap my head around. Well, how do I know how much my expenses are going to be? So my coach and I actually had weekly meetings for about a month and a half, just tracking my expenses. So once I started with the sauce of what I was spending, then we could kind of zone in on what I should be spending. And that just like, for some reason, then it clicked after that. And then we were able to use the budget as a tool. And me with my gamification, it was fantastic. I could see what I was spending and then I could zone in, okay, utilities, that's high. How can I make that lower next month? And then do it next month. And then yay, I did it groceries. How can I make that lower? So I just went like line item by line item, you know, lowering my phone bill just by calling around, lowering my um, homeowner's insurance, just spending time with the budget as a tool rather than like thinking that it would control me. Like, I guess that's what I always felt. It's, I don't want to be locked down with a budget. No, because all of a sudden, really now, yeah, all of a sudden you're in control. You're the one who's, who's lowering. You're like applying all this Katie pressure into utilities, into grocery, into whatever the areas that you want. Like you're the, you're the force here. Yeah. And then we allocated some savings into some little buckets because I, I was kind of scared, like, well, what if something comes up? So we just set up these little categories um, like home expense or kids expense or gifts. And then we could allocate savings and put those in as line items on the budget. So we knew for sure the saving was happening. Um, and that was really helpful, too. So like over time, looking at that budget and tweaking it, more of the money went into the savings rather than the expenses. And I, I love seeing that. Did you use any special tools for your budget? Was there any, you know, there's Cube or Tiller Money or YNAB or any of these that you used? I used a spreadsheet <laughs> yeah. because that just works for me. But Summit actually does have a bunch of tools since it was a competition for Summit and part of it is being promotion for Summit, we definitely use some of those. So they have within their app, they call it Climber. It's a tool that can track your expenses and then you tag them and that kind of helps you realize where you're spending your money. You can set up little alerts if you've gone over the budget you set for yourself. You can track your net worth in that too. So Love that. I've used those in the past and it's always really 
I'm going to say fun, not at the time, but I remember sitting at dinner at a restaurant a couple of times and I just paid the bill and my phone alerts me that I'm over my restaurant budget, right? Yep. <laughs> which is great. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't end the dinner on a high note, but it does. It's a great way of putting myself in check going, okay, that was the last one for this time. How much money were you able to save during the eight months? Uh, well, it was a 78% savings rate that I ended up wow. with. Wow. Holy yeah. cow. Well, I didn't want to lose. Um, I had worked really hard to be chosen for it. And I really did not want to lose. And especially I didn't want to lose by a little bit. So I don't actually know what the other people ended up with, but I'm pretty sure there was a, there's a wide range for me that ended up uh, $19,000. So awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then the $10,000 prize money on top of that was really helpful too. So, but even Katie, without, was with, without the 10,000, I would think $19,000 more savings is a life changer for you. Oh, definitely. Especially if that was, you know, well, obviously it, it included escrow. Sure, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, so like yeah. a little bit of that, but um, you know, if that's what I can do in eight months, then I can just repeat that process over and over again and constantly be winning my own competition. So that's my goal right now. Um, it really, really helped everything in my life. Not only do I have I mastered the budget, so I am honestly not stressed out about paying my pills every month, but I was able to use that money to set up my will and trust because I didn't have a will, but I had four children. So I went to a lawyer. I was able to throw the $10,000 in the I-bond that everyone was talking about for so long. And I felt like I just wanted to be there, but I wasn't quite there. I contributed $5,000 to match my son's earnings in a custodial IRA for him. So, you know, if he doesn't touch that in, in years, I've, I've showed him the compound interest of what that will become. And hopefully he can start contributing. Um, I've got a three-month emergency fund. We got a bunch of dental work done that we were saving that we weren't able to afford previously. It's, it's just really, really helped Turn some of those things that I always thought weren't for me, like investing, that's for rich people. Well, guess what? It's not. <laughs> Thank you for being brave enough to tell your story. I know how hard it is for people to actually talk about their vulnerabilities and talk about the struggles that they've had, but the number of people that I hope, I hope because they heard you today, Katie, know that they can do this too, because you did. I just wish you were slightly competitive. If you were competitive at all, it might... It might <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to talking about it, that was an, like a big thing going into this is I want to be able to teach my children how to do the stuff that I wasn't taught. But I did find out that no matter how much I know, my children aren't going to listen to me, but they will listen to other people. So if we can all just become knowledgeable, then you, Joe, you can teach my children the things that they won't listen to me say. And I think that's still a win. So many so many valuable lessons in that discussion. And I found myself, when Katie and I first met in Madison, I found myself rooting for her then when she was telling me just the outline of the story that we heard. I'd never heard the entire story. And now that I know what a fighter she is, I'm rooting for her even more. And you know what? Hopefully that helps you root for you because you can fight for your goals the same way that Katie did. You can advocate for yourself the way that Katie did. You can you can save 78% of your income, even when you're not making that much money, right? Some of the scuttlebutt, as mom likes to say, around the fire movement is that these are high wage earners. Well, Katie's not a high wage earner. And Katie found a way to save a huge, huge percentage of her income. And 
the money that she won, that's great, doll. But you know, the lesson she learned and the money that she saved, I think that's so important. And I can't let this go either. She had that coach in her corner. And I'm not saying you need to hire a financial advisor. I'm saying you just need people in your corner who are going to protect your blind side. We all have blind sides. Katie has them. You have them. I have them. So coming up next, we think that one's good. Wait till you hear about Josh and Alicia. I met them early in my tour. You'll hear where I met them because I met them in the city that they moved to. Have you ever thought about, man, my life could be so different if I just had a change of scenery? Well, you know what? The past does not equal the future and you can just make it happen. And Josh and Alicia did. Here they are. And friends I met in Austin, Texas, Josh and Alyssa are here with me. How are you guys? We're good. We love it. So tell me, Alyssa, whose idea was it first? And I'm I'm not even going to tell everybody what the idea was yet. But did you go to Josh and say, hey, we need a change? Did Josh go to you and say, we need a change? Like, where did this come from? No, um, actually, my husband subtly mentioned it to me multiple times over the course of maybe a year or more that we needed a change. <laughs> so he was like wearing you down. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So where were you living at the time, Alyssa? So we were living in um, a city called Benicia, which is in Northern California. So about 45 minutes north of San Francisco in California. Gotcha. And but beautiful area, I would imagine there, Josh. Yes, beautiful. But, but, um, but a guy from the South, there's a little cold for me, but <laughs> right. beautiful. So I'm wondering then, why do you start doing the, we need to move, we need to move, we need to move to your spouse? So the city that we um, wanted to move to, I've always had interest in it. Just general online, like entertainment, the lifestyle there is good. And it seemed to be up and coming. And I thought to myself, it would be great if we could get in while it's building. And then also, it would just be a fun place to live. And, and how many years ago did this begin, Josh? Oh, man. I think I was listening to an entertainment podcast based out of the city back in like 2016. So maybe that's when I started to like grate on her and start to annoy her. <laughs> well, well, let's give this up then. Josh, what city was it that you were thinking that you wanted to move to? Well, like all, I guess, good Californians, we decided we wanted to uh, move to Austin, Texas. All right. Yeah, deal. And had you ever been there before? Never. Never. Not once. So, Alyssa, this seems crazy to me. Josh starts telling you, hey, let's move to Austin, Texas. And I'm sure you're like, hey, we've never been. You have to have said to him, we've never been there before. Why the hell you want to move to this city? A little bit. I think more of anything. Um, it just sounded like a, a nice dream, you know, that us millennials tend to have. So, yeah, I kind of just took it as that initially. Was there a point during that first year and a half when you guys said, hey, we should go visit? There must have been a time when you said, let's go visit. Not once. No. I was dead set on it. But No. Surprisingly, no. It was just, we're just going to move here. Just period move. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about what jobs you had at the time, because it seems like if you've, if you're employed and things are going pretty well, this is going to be a difficult move. Did you have family in that area? No family for either of us. Um, it, to me, it just looked like the dream to get in and be there. 
I'm originally from Georgia. So really Austin is like a halfway point between her home and my home, Okay, which is kind of cool. But um, no, no family. I have family um, in California throughout California, um, locally within um, five minutes and 30 minutes and in Southern California as well. Okay. So you're going to leave family behind. What about jobs, Alyssa? Were you guys working? Yeah, so um, I was working um, for a small city in Northern California. Okay, and Josh, you? Yeah, I was working as well. I was um, really as a contractor working at a contract company for a larger energy company throughout California. So So, leaving that behind. Yeah, so you guys both have jobs. You have family in the area. You're going to go to a place where there's no family, no job. You're halfway back to Georgia, though. And it's a town that sounds pretty, pretty amazing. So tell me about putting the stuff together, Josh, to move. When do you guys finally decide, okay, we're going to do this? And tell me about the steps then to getting you from this place that you know to a place that you really don't know. Well, okay. Let me go back. As all good stories begin, back in 2018, I was uh, fired from my job. Um, (laughs) There was some internal kind of like conflict. Also, for me, it was a tough place to work at. But I was fired from there. And I thought at the time that the only way really to make money was by playing the credit card game. I was so incorrect after um, looking, you know, doing a lot of research within personal finance. Um, I had explain to people before you go on what playing the credit card game means, because I think this is going to be a good lesson for a lot of people. At the time, I had maybe about six credit cards, each of them for a different thing. And I told myself, this is how you make real money by um, getting points on the different things. So, for instance, I had an Alaskan Airlines card. Um, there was like an annual payment of $50 a year, but I told myself, I'm going to be traveling so much that it doesn't even matter. It's just going to pay itself off. In the end, that was not the case. I was throwing money away at this credit card. It made no sense. I had it for two years. I also owned, I want to say like a PayPal card and another kind of like cash rewards card. Same thing. I also thought to myself, well, If you want to have a good um, credit, you need to keep a balance on there. So that was like always my thought because I always heard that on TV, uh, movies, just all my friends telling me this. And I was thinking, I'll be good as soon as I rack up all these points. And I was wrong after getting down and cracking open Excel sheet and tracking all of it. Yeah. Which Alyssa, I'm, I'm looking at the look on your face. It seems like you kind of thought this all along. You know, I think for me, I don't think credit cards are bad, but I'm very much used to paying with cash and just being done with it. And so when it comes to like balances and points and having multiple for different reasons, I definitely saw the incentive. But I think for me, it just brings me anxiety. So I kind of left it for him to kind of deal with and manage, um, which he was good at. But yeah, I was happy when he came to that conclusion. Yeah, I can imagine Josh's spreadsheet must have had lines and lines and lines of like, oh yeah, I was going to say all the cool, all the stuff you're tracking. But back to I think the the really positive part of this. Back to what you said at first. I was telling Cheryl that maybe the best opportunity I had in life ends up being when I was fired from my job, which at the time felt horrible. 
just, you yeah. know, I felt this real disconnect. I didn't know where I was going next, but man, that made me do this exploration that ended up being wonderful in my life. Yeah. Same here. Um, at the time, people I really respected with finances because I was feeling the worst at the time. And they gave me, you know, different personal finance podcasts and articles and books. Uh, one book I remember in particular was I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Mm-hmm. That was one that was uh, presented to me. Um, I can't remember if Broke Millennial came out around that time. And then somewhere down the line, I discovered your guys' podcast. It must have been some sort of like great thing, like some sort of thing sent from, I don't know, above to me because you guys had in within one week span, you had a podcast that talked about the issues of debt And then later in the week, you talked about the issues of uh, student loans. So during this time frame, we still owned maybe twenty to twenty-four thousand in student loans, and I think we also had about four thousand in credit card uh, debt at the time. And that's kind of where it started. We opened up a new spreadsheet. We started the budget here, and we realized, okay, what can we cut? What don't we need? And we realized there was a lot of things. Like for an example. We both had our own Netflix accounts and we were married. We don't need that. <laughs> I know. Uh, hopefully people aren't like, oh, you idiots. But, yeah, but there were other things. Yeah, but there's no way, Alyssa, she, you want to watch yeah. what he's watching on Netflix. I mean, you want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah. We were uh, getting our groceries delivered to us. We were eating out every weekend and shoot most of the times at night. And we realized when we cut back and just cooked on our own taught ourselves how to cook, taught ourselves not to go out and just like enjoy the free kind of like uh, parks in the area and different things. We realized, oh my goodness, we are legitimately living on way less than we make if we actually did all this stuff ahead of time. So basically to wrap things up really quickly, we said, okay, so for a few months, let's just try to pay stuff off. We'll throw every little dollar we have at our debt. So within a month, a couple months, we realized what we were able to save, we paid off our credit cards. And then I closed like four of those cards. Wow. Um, yeah, that was, that felt great. Then we started working on our student loans combined. And now you're really starting to roll on getting this debt paid down. Yeah. You know, it was really encouraging to know that we were doing the right thing. But yeah, we went, all right, let's try three months. Let's just pay our stuff down. Okay, we're kind of used to this lifestyle. Let's go another few months. So this is like half a year. We're hitting towards the new year, maybe at this point. We're like, huh, we threw everything at it. We're finding new ways to cut money like every month when we rebudget our stuff. We're throwing more money at it. And we actually paid off half of our student loans at this moment. I want to stop here for a second, Josh, because clearly you're excited about this. Yeah. (laughs) Alyssa, uh, uh, sometimes often somebody's spouse, when they're super excited about let's cut, let's cut, let's cut, the spouse isn't all that excited about let's cut, let's cut. It just feels like a lot less living. Uh, Was this both of you? Were you dragged to cutting some of this or were you in it as well? Were you super excited about this journey that you guys were on? So for me, I actually was excited for us being young professionals and especially, you know, married and having like student loans, you know, month to month that did feel like a big burden. So I was excited um, for us to find ways to cut things. 
There were a few things I was not excited about, like my wine subscription got cut. Oh, <laughs> one, star, one star. <laughs> but I think for me, I did see it as um, like temporary sacrifices and knowing that we had a larger goal. And so I think for me, that's what made it exciting that we were working on it together. It was a lifestyle change. And that, you know, it was a little bit of temporary uh, pain. So I think that mindset helped a lot. I love the fact that you two are on the same page and that you're cutting stuff. And obviously, I'm sure, Josh, that was stuff you didn't love cutting as well. Maybe not as deep as a wine subscription, because that's for me, my Enoch Stomp wine subscription is like my fun thing once a quarter that comes or excuse me, twice a year. I wish it was once a quarter, Enoch. You can do it once a quarter, but how does this go into moving though? I mean, I'm hearing this great thing, but, but how does this become, we're moving to Austin. So a few months later, we were able to finally pay everything off. This is about April to May of 2019. I want to say yes. During that time frame, we were both applying for jobs in Austin just to see if we could get there. And luckily Alicia was able to find a job. She said, Josh, I found a job in Austin. They want me. I'm really excited. They value me. And I was like, oh my goodness, can we? I know we talked about movie, but can we do it? But then I realized, you know, when we paid off the student loan, it was like we were getting an extra paycheck a month just because we weren't actually sending in money to somebody. And because we saved for that emergency fund for the online savings account. Shout out to your uh, FinTech Fridays for uh, suggesting that to us. But um, we were like, well, nothing's holding us back. We do have the money saved now. Sure, let's go ahead and do it. Wow. And this is what a nice person Alicia is. I've been calling her Alyssa this entire time. She hasn't corrected me once. (laughs) It's okay. Everyone does. I'm bad. (laughs) Which is is fantastic. So Josh is clearly now ready to jump. You guys, Alicia, tell me about just the wow, we're actually doing this. And getting the job offer, it definitely hit me. I think it maybe didn't really, really hit me until I disclosed it to my current job. Yeah. And maybe a week out, um, you know, we had a company come up and pick up my car. So I think those major things leaving really did hit me. And I went through the emotions, especially arriving to Austin and getting off the plane I'm really here. (laughs) What am I doing? I need a rental car. Um, And I think we didn't mention, um, I actually went to Austin alone for a few weeks because, you know, he still had to work and tie up loose ends. And so he dropped me off at the airport and I arrived in Austin alone. And I literally was like, Oh my goodness. What did I do? (laughs) So it really hit me. Yeah. It's it's like, it's like you, you're the reconnaissance mission. Yes. And I think I only had maybe three, maybe three weeks in between um, getting the job offer and having to fly down there. So it was very fast. And so I think that's probably why it didn't really, really hit me until I landed alone in Austin getting the rental car. Free tip. We had no idea about this, but there are apartment realtors that will go and search for apartments for free. As long as you reference them back to the apartment company on how you found the place. So they get a kickback from the... They get a kickback yes. from the place, yeah. Yes, it's free for the user so long as you reference them. Yeah. So we used an apartment realtor to help us find an apartment for us, for Alicia when she got there. So when she got off the plane, she was able to find it. In the meantime, we owned a 
two bedroom townhouse and I was trying to, uh, you know, make it ready so we could give it to a realtor to sell it. And during that time I was working 40 plus hours. I was trying to get everything of overtime for like two months. And then come March of 2020, literally a month before the pandemic, I said, I'm a week, a week before the pandemic. I was going to say, March is the pandemic, right? Yeah. yeah. I quit my job March of 2020 and I moved down to Austin within that same kind of like a weekend later. When I got here, that's when the pandemic was. And now it was just like, oh, crap. What did you just do, Josh? <laughs> um, you have to find a job in the middle of the pandemic. But, you know, we... We're prepared for everything. Yeah. Well, and you have your spending in check, right? So your spending is within your means and you have the emergency fund and you're used to cutting back some. Yes. But I still wonder about moving to the new city and now you can't really connect with anybody there at first. I mean, how bad is it to go to this new place? It's really cool. And for the first two years, you can't really experience it. I mean, you know, we're talking to you summer of 2022 and I bet you guys are just kind of starting to get out and see a bunch of people just during the last six months. Yes, that's completely true. You know, my friends and family still ask me, how do you like Austin? And I say, I, I like it. But honestly, I've been inside for two years. Um, we both work from home. Um, yeah, when he got here, South by Southwest immediately was canceled. Everything was shut down. You know, in a way, we're still tourists. We still go to parks and we still find like free museums and things like that. And we really are discovering the city two years later. I was going to say, it's very, it's very lucky for the two of you that there's a great outdoor scene there. So you can get in the walks and the hiking and the, I mean, just even just Ladybird Lake. Oh my goodness. Just beautiful places. Yes. Mm-hmm. We realized also when we moved here, especially in the complex, there are a lot of people who are moving from other states as well, like from Connecticut or Wisconsin or New York. And so they were kind of doing the same thing. So that's kind of how we like wedged ourselves in to go talk to and meet new people. Like, hey, we're from California. Where are you guys from? Oh, you're from, you know, this other state. So it was just cool to see other people. Kind of going through the same thing. But so far, while you didn't predict the pandemic, Josh, everything you hoped Austin would be in the move would be, was this a a net good move for Josh and Alicia? It's better than I thought. uh, Even with the pandemic. Alicia, how about you? I agree. I did not know what to expect, and it has exceeded my expectations. So I'm still enjoying the Austin area a lot. I love, I just love, I told you this in Austin, guys, but I love the fact that you had this bravery to not only take your financial house, which wasn't working the way you wanted to, to get it in order to get the foundation and just go live the life you want. That's just so, I don't know. It obviously spoke to me in here a few months later. I'm glad you were able to tell, tell all the stackers your story. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and for, you know, pretending you like sitting very close to each other on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> We're loving stacking Benjamin's uh, studio. Uh, just, just loving it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Stop. Keep going. Stop. Keep going. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And on National Scotch Day, I probably should share a few stories from OG's worst after scotch party moments, like the time uh, he... And I'm not going to share that one. Or better yet, <laughs> about when he... No, really shouldn't talk about nudity in front of the kids. All right, I got it. Um, Man, 
No, no sense explaining where that rash came from. All right, well, time for a diversion, because it's also the birthday of a famous cartoon character who, like OG, may have taken a wrong turn at Albuquerque. What hunter-stumping, duck-friending star made his first appearance in 1940 on today's date? I'll be back with the answer right after I go water down OG's next sip. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm OG's ultimate wingman, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, I never knew coffee and bourbon would be a thing before this podcast, but not that I'm ready to start down that road anytime soon. Assuming I haven't already. Every podcast needs a setup, man. And today I'm setting up the trivia. Mel Blanc stacked lots of Benjamins during his career, playing characters on some of the most popular shows of the golden age of radio, like the Jack Benny program, Burns and Allen and Abbott and Costello. But maybe his biggest hit of all was when he became the first voice of a certain rabbit created by Leon Schlesinger Productions, a company that would later become Warner Brothers Cartoons. What character? Of course, it was none other than Bugs Bunny. Get it right? Of course you did. And in the spirit of Bugs' friend Porky Pig, that's all, folks. That was awful. Anyway, back to Joe and another great stacker success story. 
And here's a guest who's here by very special request, Nick Zihai, a guy I know pretty darn well. How are you, Nick? I'm doing good. What uh, what show is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's just another random podcast. You know? Yeah, I haven't heard of this one. <laughs> Who are you? Hey, I want to ask about real estate in general at first, because a lot of people wanted to hear about you building your empire of owning houses. What made you decide that you wanted to do real estate? Where did that thirst come from? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think just the general uh, financial freedom and, you know, having, I think what inspires a lot of people, just the fire movement, having a lot of uh, ability to do, you know, whatever you want. And I think that's really powerful to, uh, you know, someday say like, hey, like, if I don't want to do software anymore, you know, I can just step away and do real estate. And I think uh, real estate's a great, great way to do that. Was there a specific book, a specific um, person that you followed, a specific thing that you remember that was like, oh, didn't think this was a thing, but now I do? Uh, yeah. So I think when I got out of college, uh, I remember you gave me the uh, Scott Trench book, which, uh, you know, he's the CEO of Bigger Pockets. You know, I read other books, uh, but this one was pretty motivating for me because it, I think, you know, there's a lot of things in there that it kind of put in perspective about what an average person spends their money on. And I think it said like 30 or 40% of your income just goes towards housing. It kind of interested me, like he described loan pay down appreciation just on housing. And I'm, you know, that seemed like a pretty good deal to me. So you're saying that if you can spend less money on housing, that's a huge key to success. Yeah. So what he advocates for is the house hack method, you know, getting a house and, um, either taking the rooms or renting her out or like getting a duplex, running out another unit or, you know, finding creative ways to use your housing situation and generate income. So if you do that, I mean, that gives you a 30% after tax income boost right there. I mean, um, that's, it's basically already a promotion. Like if you're already spending, you know, say you spend a thousand dollars a month on rent, it's a $12,000 promotion by just getting a house and having somebody pay the mortgage on it. And then on top of that, you get the loan pay down on that and you get the appreciation of the market you're in. So yeah, it's a really good deal. But basically that was one of my main uh, interests. And I don't know if you want me to go further down the rabbit hole, but after that I was like, okay, I mean, real estate sounds fun. It doesn't make sense to me that like, why do I have to put 20% down for every, every single property? You know, that seems like a relatively slower way to generate a portfolio. Like, you know, at that point, why don't I just invest in the stock market and not have to deal with all the issues that having a tenant and operating a house is. So um, I guess one of the most transformative book I read was uh, the David Green Burr book. You know, what that does is it shows you how to invest in real estate and essentially continue to get your money back on your investments so you can buy more houses by um, doing rehabs and adding value. So yeah, I read that Burr book, read like three or four more real estate books, and then just started to jump in. Well, and, and let's go back just a little bit. So after you get excited about real estate and you hear about house hacking, I know when you moved to Seattle originally, you actually lived this. You you saw a dude who is your landlord who is actually doing this, who is doing a big time house hack. Yeah. Seattle, I mean, it's very expensive. <laughs> Understatement. So, yeah. So he probably had like a one or two million dollar house where yeah, I'm sure the mortgage was at least like five or six thousand a month. Um and he was just renting out each room for a thousand a month. 
so he had four or five people in there. You know, he had a million dollar house where he was just riding on the equity and not having to take out of his cash flow every month, I'm assuming. You know, I never I never got into details with the finances with this guy, but But you did see him him live in it. Yeah, that's kind of what you have to do. The thing, especially in Seattle, I mean, rent by the room or, you know, I know people do Airbnb as well. The funny thing is I never actually did a house that I actually need to do one. I've just been so invested in doing burrs that I've, I haven't stopped to actually get a house for myself. Explain to everybody what burr means. We've had David Green on the show. We'll link to it in our show notes page, by the way, so people can go back and listen to our interview with David. But dive into just briefly what burr entails. Yeah. So what Burr is, you know, it's a strategy that you can use to essentially build a portfolio, you know, if you do it right without taking any money out of your pocket at the end of the day. So Burr stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. Say I have a a $50,000 house, but I see comparable properties on that block that are at 100000 my goal is about every time that I do one of these is to get all my money back on the property. So in that example, I buy a house for 50000 So my goal then is to have a rehab about 20000 You know, it's not rocket science. All I'm really trying to do is just match what those $100,000 houses look like. Meaning, wait a minute, um, when you say rehab 20000 you mean you're going to put another $20,000 worth of work into it? Yeah, okay. put another 20000 worth of work into so it. So now total of seventy, and hope it comes out yeah. at 100 then. Yeah, so you put seventy into it, then say you refinance it, then you have like 5000 in closing and holding costs. Um, it might be more, but for the sake of this example, we'll just keep it like that. Once I buy that $50,000 house, I put a $20,000 rehab into it. I put 70000 in that house, and then what I do is I go to the bank and I say, I want to refinance out my house. And what the bank will say is, okay, we'll give you 75% of the value of your property. And so what we did before we even bought the house is we saw that comparable properties on that block or in that radius had sold for 100000 You know, what the bank does is they send out an appraiser. The appraiser says, okay, this house is worth 100000 what the bank does is they give you a loan for 75000 Say you're all in at 75000 What you've done is you've gotten a house for free and you get all your money back on that investment. So you have that $100,000 house. So what you do is you put a renter in there that pays the mortgage. And so essentially at the end of the day, you have a turnkey house with $25,000 in equity. And then, I don't know, say you have a $1,000 rent payment or something. Uh, then you probably have like two or $300 in um, cash flow every month too. You know, to me, it's a great way of building a portfolio pretty fast. But, you know, it takes a lot of skill getting into it. Like, you have to know what a rehab cost would be. It takes a lot of effort to figure out how to find great deals. But it seems like it seems like watching you do this with the first house that you did, you just have to be willing to make a lot of mistakes. Like, I feel like there was getting your team together is tough, getting the process together is tough figuring out what numbers are important and what numbers aren't is tough. Like yeah. there's some friction at the beginning. Oh, for sure. I mean, in real estate in general, the contractors like, <laughs> uh, man, like 80% of them are just pretty bad. Carl Jensen was telling us that a couple of weeks ago, uh, Carl, Mr. 1500 and Mindy Jensen, of course, from bigger pockets, they were on and Carl was talking about how he got so sick of hiring people. That's when he learned to start watching <laughs> YouTube videos and just do it himself. Yeah. The thing, too, is that, you know, I invest in Detroit. I mean, it's where, where we're from. So 
I I live in Seattle, so I I can't do it by myself. So I have to find people I trust, which is a hard thing, but it also is good for scalability, right? Because I if I'm expecting to scale a portfolio, I I can't be out hammering away and expect to have a W two job at the same time. But you've also found over time that these people, as you found new people, like now you have a much closer, I would think, to a turnkey team, don't you? Like people that you now do trust? I've, I'm a lot more <laughs> I'm a lot more confident in the people I use than start, uh, just because I've used them for four or five houses now. I'm more confident in my ability to get it to that after repair value that we need to hit. It's like a skill more than anything. Like A lot of people try to do it perfectly when they start out, but it's hard. Like it's, uh, it takes a lot of skill to have the right people to know what you're doing. But yeah, I mean, one of the one things I really learned about real estate is a lot of people think it's, you know, it's a passive investment. You know, it really isn't like, I would think of it more as just a business. And I think the great thing is it's taught me a lot about business and dealing with people, especially when you're the investor managing a team of people. What would you say is the biggest mistake you made along the way? I think just going back to hiring the wrong people, um, I still think I have to work on vetting people uh, more. You know, I, but is I've there done s- everything. Like, I've, Yeah. Is there something you've learned about vetting people now that you didn't know before that is like a really big thing that you can maybe help people not stumble on that? I think call references, just asking people that have worked. I think references are kind of the biggest thing for people. If you don't have references, then it's just taking a shot in the dark. You might as well throw a, a dart at a... Uh, a dartboard blind. Have you called references though and been surprised that the reference wasn't that good? Yeah. I mean, I've done that too. Like I've called references and uh, yeah, I mean, this guy still turns out bad. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like, come on, man. Like I can't win sometimes. So uh, no, I'm saying somebody's dumb enough to put a reference down and the reference gives them a crappy reference. Oh no, I haven't hit that yet. Yeah. Uh, but I'll be excited to hit that. It'll be funny. Because I've heard of that happening before, and that just always cracks me up. I'm like, wow, you don't know yourself very well if you don't know the reference. Yeah. I'd be I'd be really grateful, though, if somebody gave me a bad reference, because, I mean, they're just speaking the truth to me, and they help me out with a lot of headache before they uh, I go into something. How many doors are you up to now? Uh, well, I've, I, I have to count. <laughs> I, I actually have to literally count this for a loan I'm, I'm trying to get right now. It's about 10, between 10 and 15. And, uh, you've, and you've started working. Well, part of your, you're wondering how many houses you actually own. You, you've got so many projects you're working on at once now. I know you're even starting to work with some partners on deals. Yeah. So I'm doing like four or five houses for a partnership. You know, at this point, I think it'd have to be something like more bigger multifamily type stuff. It's a lot of work to rehab a house. So I would rather just get most equity and I already have a solid team. So it'd have to be a pretty good proposition for me to want to split a single family property. Well, Nick, thanks so much. I know that I've obviously been bragging about the fact that, uh, that you're doing a great job with really after introducing you to Scott Trench, not very much help from me, not much help from dad, but uh, great job and congratulations on the success. And uh, thanks for telling your story to people. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. I'm happy to help anybody out. It's I really enjoy it because it's kind of a niche part of real estate that's not a turnkey investment. So it takes a lot of skill to do it. If people want to connect with you, how do they do that? Yeah, I just started an Instagram. I I should post more on it, but uh, you can do it there. Just Nick Sehy, N-I-C-K-S-E-H-Y. 
that would be the best way. I don't, I don't know if I want to give out my phone number on a yeah, I think podcast, that's, but. I think that's probably that's probably good. Yeah, hit up Nick on Instagram, and plus you'll get to see what projects you're working on. Yep. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks. Hey, I'm Mr. Wow. And I'm Mrs. Wow from Waffles on Wednesday. And when we're not eating waffles, we're stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to all of our stackers for participating. And OG, we've said this over the last decade, over and over, you and I, you can do this. If you think that you can't achieve extraordinary results, that it's beyond you, all you got to do is listen to some of these people that I got to meet around the country because just some some powerful, powerful stories coming out of people that, you know, no offense to our stacker community, but they're just like you and me. Well, and a lot of common themes too, right? Like I did a little thing a whole bunch of times in a row. I worked on paying off my debt, you know, not by winning the lottery and having $100,000 lying around, but because I did a little thing like added $100 a month or, you know, whatever. It's those compounding returns. And that's the suckiness of compounding is that you don't get the results until the very end. But the good thing about compounding is, like you said in the past, when you go to work out, all you got to do is get yourself out there, right? Don't try to finish the workout, just begin. I think it's the same thing with paying off your debt. Once you get rolling down that road, it becomes a game and you feel yourself going faster because when you see a little success, every behavioral study shows that little piece of success leads to bigger and bigger things. Yeah. Behavioral study? Isn't it behavioral? Behavioral. I think so. so I would say it. Yeah. Behavioral. Shut up, Michigan. <laughs> hey, it's behavioral. Behavioral. <laughs> Behave, y'all. Behave, y'all. Behave, y'all. <laughs> Why don't we uh, throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at don't, Haven Life Insurance Agency, don't, OG. Don't ask me. Don't, yes, put, thank you. <laughs> they put what you've, believe it or not, I saw that one coming as I'm watching you across the card table, no, like don't, pointing. Don't call on me. Don't call on me. I don't have anything. OG, well, what do you value? Well, despite that, today is uh, Scotch Day and... <laughs> I happen to like it. I kind of turned a corner on this one, Doug. I got a summer drink that ah. uh, that I've been sporting. It's a little lighter, a little uh, this is little something. This is a major development. Is this a little Rioniti on ice? Is that what you're <laughs> going to? A little Kirkland box wine. <laughs> little Zima. This is a huge development because there was a time years ago, I was meeting OG for dinner and he got there before me and he texted me and he said, I'm at the bar. And I texted him back. I'm sure I was at a stoplight. Give me a vodka tonic. Give me and a he, vodka cranberry, close enough, but all right. And I uh, said, I refuse to order that. Yes. You're getting a bourbon. <laughs> he wouldn't even order me a clear alcohol drink, but I drink a lot of, okay, I drink enough of, <laughs> of scotch and bourbon, but only in colder months from like October through maybe June. April. So anyways, <laughs> I value a summer drink, but I'm not going to tell Doug any more information because he's <sighs> just going to lord it over me. I totally am now. Yep. Doug, first of all, starting off any sentence with, I drink a lot of, might, <laughs> might signal a bigger problem. And then number two is, oh, gee, to your point, do you think that the scotch industry goes, you know, people consider this a winter drink. So we're going to position this right in the middle of July, National Scotch Day. Oh. Just, just remind you at the end Ooh. of July that, hey, Ooh. we're still here, summer we're drink still here. people. Yes. Interesting. That's pretty insightful of you. Have some Glenn Fittich today. Yet another like, marketing holiday. Yes. Glenfiddich. 
Well, go ahead and drink up, but do it after your life insurance app is filled out because... <laughs> yes, and approved even. <laughs> how, do you, how do you go back to the insurance read after that? Their application at Haven Life, it's simple, it's online, you get an instant coverage decision, prices are affordable, and of course, they're issued by Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old, so you know that you have an insurer who's been there before. And today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Brian. Say hi, Brian. Hi, my name is Brian. I'm 55, and I have about 700000 in a 401k, but I'm also eligible to retire with full benefits at age 60. So my question is, how does the rule of 25 apply to people that are fortunate enough to have pensions? And by the way, I don't enjoy sweets, but what's odd is I do partake in dessert after every Sacking Benjamins podcast. That is a very strange habit, but a great habit, Brian, because if you're going to spend time with dinner, why not have dessert? You know, first thing I think before we get to this question at all, gee, we should define what Brian's talking about because a fair amount of our audience goes, I don't even know what the rule of 25 is. So what is this thing? What's this beast, OG, the rule of 25? Well, it's just the other side of the rule of 4%, the 4% rule. It's just doing the inverse of that. So instead of saying, how much can I draw from this portfolio? It's more like, how much do I need times 25%? Or I'm sorry, times 25 times. So it's like, if I want 10,000 a year for my portfolio, I should probably have 250K, 25X, 10,000. Other people would say, I have 250,000. How much can I spend? 4% of it is about 10. Setting aside for a moment, the rule of thumb argument of rule of thumbs are meant to like point you in the right direction, not necessarily be your long-term financial plan because everybody's a little bit different, but, but it gets you kind of sort of in the ballpark potentially. So how does this work with pensions? Well, first of all, your pension probably doesn't cover all of your income. Doesn't cover all your expenses, you mean, right? All, yeah. Or, or, you know, what your income used to be. Yeah. All of your expenses. Maybe it does. Maybe you, you know, maybe you have enough excess surplus every single month now. Um, I think this is also true for people that uh, count on Social Security. When you think about Social Security, you you want to reduce your portfolio distribution by the amount that you're going to get from guaranteed sources, whether it's Social Security, pension, rent income that you have from a, an investment business, part-time earnings, that sort of thing. I think all goes into that calculation of, I need $100,000 a year to live on. I'm going to get 30 from Social Security. I'm going to get 30 from my pension. I got 10,000 bucks in a vacation rental that I have. So now I really only need to take out $20,000 out of my portfolio. How much do I, you know, or $30,000 out of my portfolio, how much do I need to have in my portfolio to pull that off? The difference in things like pension uh, in particular, and to some extent social security, although recently there's been inflation adjustments added to it, but the main difference with pension income is that it's generally not going to increase with inflation. So even if day one, your pension is satisfactory in terms of your earnings. Eventually, the cost of living will continue to increase throughout your retirement such that it will double or maybe even come close to triple over kind of your retirement time period, yet your pension income is going to remain pretty flat. So if you're thinking about it from a retirement standpoint going, oh, I don't need any money saved because I'm going to get enough money for my pension to, to pay my lifestyle, that will only be true for the first year. In the second year, you're going to have to take a pay cut probably in order to buy the same amount of 
goods and services throughout retirement. It'll become more noticeable 15 or 20 years in. But I think as you're thinking about your overall cash flow needs in retirement, reduce your portfolio distributions, of course, by whatever that pension, social security income is going to be. And that will also make it so that you need less money uh, when you get to retirement. And I think that's the danger getting back to the first statement you made, getting beyond the shouldn't use a rule of thumb. I think this is specifically why you don't use a rule of thumb, because just because you can take out X amount doesn't mean that that's the right number. And I think a lot of people who solve for optimization, what's the optimal amount I can take out, maybe make a mistake with that OG. I mean, if you took out, if you use the 25% rule the last three years to take X amount out, right now you're getting a, a big pay cut versus last year yeah. versus taking a consistent amount out that is represents what you need and is an amount that's sustainable. That's why everybody should go through a personal retirement plan rather than just, you know, guesstimation, like you said. Well, and this is what frustrates me is we stop at a rule of thumb, not realizing how, how easy this simple math really is. You know, we had P. Dadney, Mr. Money Mustache on Monday talking about the shockingly simple math of early retirement. The financial plans are not nearly as difficult as I think people think they are, OG, mm-hmm. to personalize this, not nearly as tough. But they're tough enough that you need somebody like OG in your corner to help you do it, right? Well, I think that's a question best for everybody. I think that the big thing that you need is people that have your blind spots covered. I mean, at the very least, have have just smart people around you. So I think that it's... um. I think that a financial plan, you can always do. Like, Doug, to specifically answer your question, I think the thing that frustrates me about the internet is that they say, well, you don't need a financial planner because you're smart enough to do this yourself. That is the wrong... Of course, you're smart enough to do this yourself. We're all smart enough to create a financial plan by ourselves. The question is, is like Pete said on Monday, number one, where do I want to spend my time? Number two is, what are the blind spots that I'm not catching? And am I surrounding myself with those people? Which means, by the way, if I have blind spots... That means that I'm actually paying attention because I think that a lot of people think that having somebody like a financial planner in their corner means I don't want to pay attention anymore, which is also not true. Yeah, having, that's, that's, you don't want to abdicate all responsibility. Yeah, you've got to still go to the Camp Fies, dive into. Yeah, be um, engaged. I, I think, OG, you might have used this analogy with me once a long time ago, but a good financial planner is a lot like a great like a health coach or a, a personal trainer you'd have at the gym. You still have to do the work. You still have to be diligent enough to continue to go, but they're just there to guide you along the way and, and hold you accountable. And I kind of like that analogy. That it, it's You don't just get to say, all right, I'm paying you money, so, you, you, so my biceps are going to show up, so make me skinny. Right? Well, but also it's the person who's been up and down the path a million times. Right. You know, It's like, yeah, this is the way, this is how we do it. This is, right. this is how you get to where you want to go. Been there, done that, got that t-shirt. Thanks for the question, Brian. If you've got a question for us, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail. Brian, taking home some sweet Stacking Benjamins Haven Lifeline Greatest Money Show on Earth t-shirt. Uh, not which, this one. Not the, not the PE shirt. I love this which one. Which I also like that one. Yeah. Stacking Benjamins Financial Ed shirt. Good stuff. By the way, for all of our swag, stackingbenjamins.com slash shirts, you can gift yourself or loved ones around you some of the wonderful Stacky Benjamin swag that Brad Lark and his team over at Flying Pork Productions makes for us. All right, that's going to do it for today. Coming up on Friday, another great roundtable episode. But if you're not here to talk roundtables, you're not here to talk about the fantastic swag, you're here because you need better 
help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. So at stackybedjamins.com slash OG for a link to their calendar and the first step to making better financial decisions. All right. I think that checks is my, I think that checks is my boxes, man. I think that be checks is my McBuckses. Who's got the heavy pours going now, Joe? <laughs> Apparently so. Time to get pouring. Doug, what should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, think you can't do great things with your money? Sure you can. Get inspired by today's stackers and start living your best life right now. Second, worried about retirement like Brian? Begin with your own goals and work backwards. That works far better than a 4% rule or a rule of 25 but the big lesson turns out Bugs Bunny has some of the best quotes about living your best life. No, seriously, let's check these out. How about this one on lightening up your viewpoint? Bugs said, don't take life too seriously. You'll never get out alive. Or this one on the importance of insurance. Jumping without a parachute? Kind of dangerous, ain't it? Or how about this beauty on a good budget? Carrots are divine. You get a dozen for a dime. It's magic. But of course, the one that probably applies best to me, of course I talk to myself because sometimes I need expert advice. Happy birthday, Bugs. Thanks to all of our stacker friends for sharing their stories. I'll share links to everything they talked about in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Wait, I'm doing that now too, Joe? Anyway, inspired by today's show, we also share lots of stacker money stories on our Instagram page. Find Joe's Million More Stories interviews from stackers around the country at Instagram.com slash Podcast. Follow us so you keep up with all of our new live events and more. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salciha. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor.
many people have asked about uh, my kid going to Colorado and the uh, angry text messages of, you know, yes. this was a couple of weeks ago, right? Like, oh, I had to hike up the mountain is like my legs are sore, right? <laughs> yeah. To see a beautiful sunrise. Yes, exactly. So to, to tie a bow on this, they came home, they left at midnight on the bus to come, which home. apparently was less of a comfortable bus than the bus they went up there with. So much so that there was no recline in the seats. So they leave at midnight. They got here at like three in the afternoon. <laughs> so, you know, that's a long bus ride from Estes Park to Dallas and got home at three. And my middle kid and my oldest one are both in the middle of watching Stranger Things. And uh, they, you know, are like they kind of wanted to watch it. So they go upstairs and they boom, go right into the movie room and they start watching this thing. A couple hours later, it's time for dinner. So I go upstairs and I kind of flip the light on. I go, hey, it's uh, dinner time. William, my middle kid says, oh, yeah, dad, we got like 10 more minutes to finish it up. So he comes down for dinner. And then here comes Alex, my oldest. And he is just mad. And he's like grumbling. We're like, what is going on, man? I mean, and he's like, six o'clock in the morning. And and we're like, "Uh uh-oh. And he, he goes and he looks at the dinner. We had, we had like a shrimp boil dinner, you know, like shrimp and sausage and corn on the cob, potatoes, whatever, shrimp boil nice. on the grill. And he was like, huh, having sausage for breakfast at six in the morning. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and he like opens a freeze, freezer, gets out like three waffles, throws three waffles in the toaster and then flicks it down and then goes sits on the couch. And he's all like, we're like, hey, man, you know, if you don't want to eat that, you can have waffles, like whatever, like who cares? You know, it's not his favorite meal. And he's like, I just understand why you get up so early. Just, I mean, and why are we having sausage? <laughs> <laughs> so in his mind, we finally figured it out after he stormed upstairs. He goes upstairs because everybody's kind of like, Alex, dude, what is up, man? Like, why are you so mad at the world? Like, it's just dinner. Like, if you don't like dinner, then eat something else. We don't care. He goes, he goes, he goes upstairs and then text. Can someone just talk to me? You people just leave me in the dirt trying to figure out what's <laughs> going on. I'm sleep deprived. Not everything has to be a mystery that I need to answer by myself. It makes me upset that Will and Caroline tell me, should I get your waffles and then do nothing? And I'm like, what's up, man? He goes, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> are you hungry sure but that's not the problem i go what would you like to eat dinner is sausage and potatoes and corn and chicken we also have things like a turkey sandwich i'm not having that for dinner i don't know what i want if mom's mad at me i have literally no clue what's going on <laughs> i go dude no one's mad at you like wow. like seeing me not understand what's going on one of y'all could have had at least the courtesy of telling me what's up instead of messing with me so he was totally out of it. He was 100% like sleep deprived, got wow. two hours of sleep. So then William says, yeah, Alex fell asleep as soon as we went in the movie room. Like we, we I've turned the lights off and boy, he was out. So he slept for like two hours, woke up thinking it's six in the morning. He can't figure out why we're having shrimp boil for breakfast, <laughs> why he's up at six in the morning. <laughs> Can he just have some waffles for kind out loud? And we're all just laughing at him. And he's traditional just, Creole breakfast. <laughs> he just gets all anyways. So, uh, so we just brought him a waffle and said, Hey, why don't you just, why don't you just lay here and just see what happens? And then he got up the next morning at eight and he goes, I was really tired, dad. <laughs> like, wow. Hashtag spoiler. Yeah. You're not you when you're sleepy. <laughs> have a Snickers.
Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.